Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we discuss the people behind the people protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet. I'm the host of our program, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Sean Kelly. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here on Risk Never Sleeps. Oh, I see you brought your podcast voice with you today. Excellent, yep. excellent. Well, this will be fun. We've known each other for a few years now. We're going to get personal today, Sean. Uh-oh. My listeners want to know about you, the person, okay? But let's start off with the boring stuff, okay? Tell us about yourself. <laughs> you got it. I'm an ER doctor, first and foremost. You are? I grew up in the world of healthcare, wild and wacky and crazy as that is. Have another n- number of other interests. I think that I started in my emergency medicine career mostly interested in medical education. Ed, that was really fun teaching at the bedside and working with students and residents. And the more I did that, the more I rose up through the ranks through administration and teaching. Mm-hmm. I'm the graduate medical education director at our hospital, which was really interesting, sitting on the hospital board and understanding a lot of the issues there with all the different programs mm-hmm. and trainees and. HR issues, legal issues, and all that. But the higher up I went, the less I did actual teaching, like many things, and became a little bit antsy there. So through that time, my wife was looking at me and saying, gee, Sean, you're just, you don't seem as happy right now as Hmm. as when you're actually down in the trenches and working and teaching. And I was still working and doing the teaching there, but Hmm. I was like, you're right. So that led to some just changes in the career path taking some turns that were a bit unexpected, but the background really was teaching and caring for patients was sort of the foundation of it all. And then ER, then you got right into the... Yeah, yeah. So that was all when I was practicing in emergency medicine and teaching at the bedside there and Mm -hmm. and working at at Beth Israel Mm -hmm. and Harvard doing the whole teaching. And And you've been at a number of different places throughout the country. Yeah, Vander, yeah. Weren't you here in Nashville? Yeah, actually. So we're in Nashville now yeah. uh, doing the podcast and at right. five. And I did train here in Nashville, Vanderbilt, a wonderful place to train. Great trauma, great community, great academics. Lots of friends from there still. Had a great time here in Nashville. And out in California, I remember visiting a hospital with you once. And yeah. <laughs> we we're yeah. getting Highland close. Highland General, now <laughs> Alameda County. Highland General, as we're getting close, you're like, yeah. ah, this looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, that's in a tough part of town. And as you can imagine, some of the best ER training are in places I, where I bet. Yeah. it's not always ideal place to, to walk alone yeah. at night. And I was actually doing a rotation out there. And I think I might have shared part of this story with you in the past. But I, when I was doing rotations out there, I was visiting some of my friends who had apartments in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. On the right side of the dot com, they were driving BMWs and living in apartments in San Francisco. And I was. You weren't. No. (laughs) I was staying with them on their couch and I would take the bus and BART over to Oakland where I would. Did uh, you get hazard pay for that? So, no, I wasn't getting paid at all. I was paying to do this because I was in med school. That's right. I was going into debt, which I have just barely paid off recently. But I would go over there on on BART and then wait at the bus stop Mm. at night because I was doing night shifts, actually. I didn't want to be the only skinny guy in scrubs waiting at the bus stop and, and it being a target. So I would put sweats on over my scrubs and I would put my Walkman on, although it wasn't plugged in because I wanted to be able to hear. And I'd put my hood up and I would bob around and you shake like rock, I was a little, rock 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 like I was a little crazy and nobody yeah. bothered me. And then yeah. I would jump on the bus and make yeah. my way up the Highland. But Excellent. again, great training, great yeah. people. A lot of the people are still there and we work with them now. Absolutely fantastic place, fantastic mm-hmm. hospital, and deliver most excellent care. And then Beth Israel, you were there for a while too? Yeah, yeah. So Beth Israel, and as I said, was doing teaching and administration mm-hmm. there. 
But that led to, I took a big left turn at that point. I took a trauma transfer call from a friend of mine out on Martha's Vineyard and decided to do some shifts out there. Big supply and demand problem out there for healthcare in the sense that the population would go from 20 or 30,000 to over 200,000 in the summers. We worked in the ER, but people would constantly ask us, man, can you be our doctor? Can you be our doctor? Concierge doctor. At that point, they didn't mm. care. They just wanted a doctor. Yeah. And so we said, it doesn't work that way. The system isn't built that way. And this is before concierge medicine was a right. thing. We talked to the CEO of the hospital. We made some arrangements. We built a business and we started a home care business, which was concierge care. Mm. And you got to understand at that time, we didn't picture ourselves as concierge doctors because right. the whole part of whole motivation to be an ER doctor is you care for everyone, whether it's VIPs or people who have homeless and other yeah. issues. And so we like caring for all, but we did create a concierge business. The business model worked out great. It turns out people love to be cared for in their home. And since we were ER doctors, we could do point to care blood tests. We could yeah. give medicines. We could do procedures such as incisions and drainage and lacerations. And so it became really popular. Mm. We had families and families, everyone from newborns all the way up to mm. 90 and 100 year olds care for them in their homes. And then we did lots of pro bono stuff on the side, became a really interesting business. You're on the vineyard. How bad could it be? Right. As it turns out, everyone else is on the vineyard having fun. And I was running around <laughs> worrying that people were having medical issues. Too much so fun. It was a little bit, it was a little bit, yeah, too much fun. It was a little bit stressful, but it was a, yeah. a really addicting uh, mm. business model. And part of that model, Ed, was we had to be in five or six places at once yeah. at all times. And this is back before technology had come of age but we were very early adopters of tech. We started to use it as a means to the ends of delivering care. And if someone was wondering if they had a tick bite that could be Lyme disease on one end of the island while I was seeing someone else potentially having a stroke on the other, yeah. I, getting a picture texted to me over a phone. And at that time, it was a Blackberry or a yeah. Palm Trio. Remember those? The palm Trio, yeah. yeah. And so we became yeah. early adopters mm. of tech. Yeah. Very critical through the lens of a provider saying, hey, what tech is going to help me in my yeah. practice? Yeah. And that became addicting for me because a lot of our patients actually were private equity and VC folks that right. were investing in tech. That led me to doing some informal consulting and then more formal consulting. And then I got led over to Improvada. Where, that's where we met. Where I met you. Yeah. Where you were the chief marketing officer. Yeah. And we yeah. went on the road and met a lot of customers. We did. And started to install technology. We had a little valuable. fun, start a little trouble. Exactly. So I love the vineyard experience, though. It's sort of like Baywatch meets Grey's Anatomy. Sure, if you want right? to categorize it. Well, looking guy, though. I don't know about that. <laughs> I would categorize it that way. Thank but let's, let's go, uh, let's talk about Harvard, because I remember being in Harvard Square with you, and you introduced me to a fantastic... Can we talk about this? Because I know it's a secret, isn't it? Yeah, we can talk. About okay, it. Tell, it let's tell the listeners about this experience. Yeah, yeah. it was part of the Harvard Lampoon. It's a yeah. wonderful place. Yeah. They have a castle there in the middle they, of Harvard Square. They do. It's a, a very long and storied history with comedy writers and a lot of talented people coming out of there. And despite all that, I was part of it. <laughs> And had a lot of good friends there that have gone on and done wonderful things for the industry uh, elsewhere. And uh, privileged to be part of that. And I think at one point got to introduce you to some of them and, you did. and show you around a little that bit. That was fun. That yeah. was fun. Right next to my bookstore, I used to go to the Grolier bookstore yep. or poetry bookstore. Yep. So that was a cool experience. How did you get into healthcare in the first place? Yeah, my dad was a doctor. Yeah. I was thinking about just about everything else first. I was thinking about being an architect. I, mm. I like to draw. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. And I like just about everything I was doing in college. 
extracurricular activities <laughs> included, but even academically, and eventually made my way back to medicine yeah. as one of the ultimate ways to challenge oneself and help others. And ultimately that mission called to yeah. me the most. It was intellectual and then being in the ER, it was procedural as well. It's practical, you probably yeah. solve problems. And, and especially in those days, it was gratifying and yeah. uh, able to care for people and make an impact. That's cool. What keeps you up at night these days? What do you think about? What do you... Yeah, I think, look, I'm a dad and my wife and I have three awesome kids and I worry about the climate. I worry about the world we're in, the lack mm. of civility and just the animosity yeah. right now and the stress in our country. That's what keeps me up, honestly. Like, I feel like a lot of us are doing our part, whether it's in healthcare or technology, mm. and fighting a bit of an uphill battle just around the bigger forces. So just trying to dig into things I can control and worry a little less about things that are the bigger things are harder to control. Right. Well said. It's been a tough couple of years for folks with the pandemic. What are you most proud of recently, maybe over the past year or the last couple yeah, of years? Yeah, never waste a good crisis. Look, we're, I'm an emergency physician and um, we're no stranger to stuff the world getting turned up to, upside down. And th in this case, the world actually did. In mm. most cases, to put it this way, I'd like when someone, when you tell someone they have cancer or they get hit by a car, their world is turned upside down because mm. of the massive reach and scope of that. But in other ways, everyone's going through it together. And so I'll tell you that in a strange way, when everyone's going through it together, it's almost, I won't say it's easier, but it's easier for everyone to be able to relate to each other. Yeah, it's more empathetic. And yeah. as an ER doctor, we know the secret is this stuff happens all the time. Mm. People get hit by cars all mm. the time, literally and figuratively. We all got hit by a car at once yeah. through the pandemic and it was sort of slow motion crash, but yeah. we were all going through it together. I don't want to lessen it. I think it was incredibly impactful. I was right there with others going in there to work and wondering, yeah. worrying about what did this actually mean? How is it gonna turn out? But I think we're all proud in the healthcare industry of how we reacted. We got to do things in a couple of weeks that normally projects that would take months or years. And so we're proud of all that aspect yeah. of it. Cool. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? I'd be doing a lot of things I'm not good at. So <laughs> I would speak a bunch of languages. I would be playing music. Oh, what kind of music? Uh, I would be playing all sorts of eclectic music. You're you've not, been there for yeah. a you're not, couple. You're musically challenged. I a think. couple of my karaoke performances, and they <laughs> not are. Good. It's not, not meant to be. This uh, is a rated G program, so yeah, let's not take it there. Okay, let's not. It, it is terrible. But I would be doing some things like that. I'm really not good at. And yeah. I'm jealous of people that can. <laughs> Just takes a little courage and a little, maybe sometimes a little liquid oh, courage. I have a lot of courage and no talent. <laughs> what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Yeah, let it go. Relax, right? Just don't worry about it so much. I love um, that question. Yeah. I get that similar response yep. from people. And I expected a different response, like buy Microsoft or... <laughs> buy plastics. <laughs> yeah. Plastics, yeah. Sure. exactly. No, I love that answer, though. It's so thoughtful. Yep. Okay, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question because... This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. Of course. Sean Kelly, Dr. Sean yep. Kelly, what is the most riskiest thing you've ever done in your life? Being back here in Nashville reminded me, we used to go up, there's a lake nearby and there's like a, a gorge part of it. Oh. And we used to just jump off of it. So we would, and so our, my friend, that was a fellow <laughs> ER resident, told me about it. And you got to understand the context of this is we were doing day and a half long shifts and, and even in the trauma ward where we would constantly be laughing at people that would come in and the silly, incredibly silly things they would do and think about the joke of, hey, y'all watch this, right? What's his last words? Hey, y'all watch this. What's his friend's last words? You know, I can do that. And all the amazing risky and stupid things that people do. Yeah. And so despite talking about that all day and being doctors that had to care for the aftermath of that, I heard that you could jump off a cliff into a lake. We got there, I opened the door, ran out and 
sprinted right off the cliff and jumped into the water. Didn't even look for Didn't even look. Whoa. And it ended up great and it was super fun. And we did it again and again. How far down was it? So, I don't know, 40, 60 feet. Oh, like it was. But you had no idea really it could have been 300 feet. No, we had no feet. idea. But we were just told that people do just this. Just run. Just run and jump. <laughs> well, I wasn't told that, but that's what we did. So I think that was too risky. And I'd, I'd, I'd go back and tell my 20 year old self not to do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Yeah, this. don't worry about things, but don't do that. Okay. Toughest lesson in life. Toughest lesson in life. I don't know. I think it's the. The dependency on other people, for me, I'm an extrovert, mm. incredibly dependent on other people for getting energy and mm -hmm. happiness, but you can't control all that. You can't make other people do things. So I guess the toughest lesson in life is to learn to mm. work with what other people are and how they think. And yeah. if you're someone who's dependent on that, then you need to learn to live with the consequences yeah. Yeah. of that. You need to go back and tell your 20-year-old self to relax. Yep. Excellent. All right. Any last comments or insight for our listeners today? No. Uh, thanks a bunch, Ed. I appreciate your, your inviting yeah. me in. Good to see you, Sean. Thanks, man. And thanks, everybody. And for those folks on the front lines protecting our patients, we salute you. And this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.